Hello, my name is Jay Denson and welcome to another episode of Fit Health Well. Today I have a special guest. His name is Tim Van Orton. He is an author. He is a a wellness coach. Uh, He is also a um, runner a vegan runner, a raw vegan runner at that. So I was uh, very excited to uh, have this gentleman on our show today um, just because I've been following him for some time and he puts up YouTube videos. Um, you, you, I don't know how to put him. I can't really put him in a nutshell. Um, I don't think you're supposed to really put anybody in a nutshell. Um, but I felt that he has a lot to offer regarding uh, wellness and just regarding um, being a vegan and things like that. So I'm very happy to have him on the show today. So, Tim, thank you so much for your time. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. It's very nice to meet you. Awesome. Did I get all the titles right? Did I leave anything out? <laughs> well, you know, it's great. I don't know how to define myself either. And whenever I do an interview like this, people will often put me in a nutshell that I don't feel I belong in. And when you said wellness coach, I paused and I thought, huh, yeah, I guess that one fits. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, like, and I know this just because, you know, I've, I've been on your website and I've listened to your videos and, and I've gotten things from it. And, um, you know, we're going to get into that in the interview to a, a little bit today um, in some of our talking points. But what I'd like for you to do first is, you know, for anyone listening to you, are they unfamiliar of your path, your journey or your work? Um, can you just give a, a brief bio about yourself? Yeah, so. What brought me to public attention was a project I created in 2006 called Running Raw. Uh, I was a vegan starting in 1997, 98, and had some pretty significant health transformations eating a vegan diet, but came down with chronic fatigue syndrome uh, around 2004, was encouraged to switch over to a raw vegan diet by quite a few people I was interacting with at the restaurant I worked at, a vegan restaurant in Los Angeles. There were a lot of raw foodists that would come in for our salads. And after a lot of coaxing, I tried a raw diet, and within a week I felt better. And I thought, wow, this this is just too good to be true. Let me keep going for a little while longer. And the longer I stayed on the diet, the better I felt. And after a year, I... My, my body transformed. It was really kind of an interesting experience, especially now looking back, uh, because who I am as a thinker, especially as a critical thinker, has changed a great deal. So when I go back and I look at that guy with that period of time, I'm still amazed at how big of a transformation it was. Um, so I thought, the world needs to know about this. If I can change my body, change my health experience, in such a profound way, simply by changing my diet, I think it's important that people hear about this. But at that time, there weren't a lot of raw foodists. Many of them were in the spiritual community or more of an alternative community. And I wanted to reach everybody. I wanted to reach my family. I wanted to reach people that are considered um, standard Americans. So I thought, what is a metric? What is some way that I can measure my change on a scale that they can relate to, that they'll understand. And so I started running just as an experiment. First of all, can I run? I was a runner in high school and a little bit in college, and I was okay, but I hadn't run since. And at that time, I think I was 37 or 38. 
And I started running and pretty quickly found that I had this running ability that um, was quite surprising. So I started competing in races and documenting it, going up on YouTube. Uh, I was one of the first uh, people up on YouTube back in 2006. And uh, I've been on this journey ever since of being an athlete, demonstrating what's possible on a plant-based diet, uh, learning a crap load about physiology and biochemistry along the way, which led me to learn about neuroscience and psychology and Buddhism. And, uh, because on this journey, I dealt with depression, something that's been with me since I was a teenager and never quite knew what to do, do with. Didn't uh, know how to manage it or deal with it. And being an athlete who represents uh, a group of people uh, trying to do well uh, for that group, be a good representative, uh, depression was getting in the way. It was stopping me from training. It was stopping me from uh, doing the work that I needed to do. Uh, so I really started invested, investigating the psychological aspects of human experience um, and just opened up a whole can of worms that has completely changed my life in a way far bigger than diet ever did. So now I primarily deal with human psychology, human experience. Diet and exercise is definitely a part of what I do, and I'm still a, an athlete. Um, but mainly I help people take steps now. I help people make changes that feel right to them rather than telling them what changes they need to make. Um, so it's, it's transformed a great deal. I'm no longer a raw foodist. I am still plant-based. I'm still vegan, but uh, I do cook grains, rice, oats, potatoes, vegetables, things like that. Uh, so I've expanded my diet, and I don't see a reason not to do that at this point. Uh, raw foodism is more of an ideology than it is a diet, and I'm not so much interested in ideology, just performing well, being well, feeling well. Another thing that people often, uh, a nutshell that people put me into, they call me the raw rudder, still, <laughs> more than a decade <laughs> later. And I'm still a runner, and I'm still an athlete, but that's not who I am. It's simply what I do to demonstrate the power of these tools that I work with. So one of the ways that I try to increase the viability or the credibility of my brand is I go after big national titles. So at this point, I've won 17 U.S. titles uh, for Masters, which is 40 and over. Uh, I have four U.S. Runner of the Year awards um, for Masters, 40 and over. I have an American record, which I set last year in the mile for 50 and over. So I've been trying to demonstrate that, okay, this isn't just a guy who talks. This is a guy who walks the talk. Um, and it's not about personal recognition. It's simply about getting people interested in the tools that I have to share. How do you do that? You perform well. And you perform well in an arena that is measured and widely visible. I can't lie about this. I can't hide it. It's for all to see. So I have to measure up. <laughs> <laughs> and that requires that I work with a pretty intense toolkit. Um, so as a coach now, I, I help people do extraordinary things if that's what they want to do, or I help them do really simple things on the way to doing extraordinary things. So that's 
a very large nutshell, but that's kind of where I am today. Absolutely. And, you know, what, what it's, I, I hate to put veganism and, and, and classify it and say it's trendy, but it has gotten popular. And the reason why uh, recently, and I don't, I'm not sure if you, you looked at this episode, but I did an episode uh, here in Canada. I interviewed Glenn Whitehead, who is the, um, he's the owner of Plant Matter Kitchen, and they, they are a plant-based restaurant. Um, so everyone has different motives, and clearly, you know, your motive was, was it sounds like it was performance. And what I want to, what I want to focus on uh, solely is, um, and this is to the running aspect of it, and, and, and you being an athlete, um, what was the first things you began to notice? Because you, you did, you did mention that, um, that you started performing better once you went to a, a plant-based or a vegan diet. Yeah, so. The first thing I'll say is when I switched to a plant-based diet, I was eating a fast food diet prior to that. Mm. I was a starving actor in Los Angeles at the time Mm. and didn't have a lot of money. So I was eating a regular diet of McDonald's, Taco Bell, um, and restaurants like that, or ramen noodles and really, really cheap, junky uh, foods that uh, would sustain my acting bug. So when I switched, it was a pretty dramatic transformation of the types of foods that I was eating because at that time in late 97, you didn't have all of the products that are available today. You had to make most of the food that you were going to eat. Even in Los Angeles, there was a a vegan movement and I, in 98, started working at a vegan restaurant, Uh, but there wasn't a lot available as a consumer. So I couldn't just buy things off the shelf in most places. I had to go to the produce section um, and make things. Or one of the reasons I started working at the restaurant was so that I would have access to that food at a discount. So it wasn't just that I switched to a plant-based diet, but I switched to a much cleaner, healthier diet, a more whole food diet, a less refined diet. That's an additional piece. Uh, that I often leave out of that conversation, but that I now see. And the first thing that I noticed was my sleep improved dramatically. One of the reasons that I deal with depression is that I've been an insomniac for most of my life. It's very, very, very difficult for me to fall asleep. And within, I don't know, maybe a month of being vegan, I started gradually just sleeping faster and faster to the point where I would just go to bed and fall asleep. And that was a new thing for me. And that was enough for me to stay vegan. And by the way, the reason that I went vegan was purely uh, out of vanity because (laughs) as an actor, I didn't want to look old. I wanted young looking skin. I wanted a full head of hair. And my girlfriend at the time who was vegan said that vegans age much, much slower. They don't lose their hair. They don't get wrinkly. All the top stars in Hollywood, they're all vegan. This is what she said. (laughs) If me at the age of 30 trying to break into Hollywood, and 30 in Hollywood is over the hill if you haven't broken in yet. So I was really scared that I wasn't going to make it. And by the way, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that that was it. That's what got me to try a plant-based diet was vanity. And I'm so glad that that was um, 
that that was enough. I'm so glad that I was vain enough to make the switch because <laughs> it's changed everything. Uh, but the first thing I noticed, and probably the only thing I really noticed as a vegan was sleeping better. It wasn't until I switched to being a raw vegan that things really dramatically transformed for me. Uh, but again, I'm no longer a raw vegan, and even though I'm back to being a vegan, I have a very specific vegan diet now that includes lots of salads, lots of smoothies, lots of fruit. Um, so it is a very, very clean and healthy uh, vegan diet, largely whole foods. Um, but I want to dial back a bit. You said that you didn't want to say that veganism or eating a vegan diet is trendy, but what it is is trending. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, my motivation in the beginning, as I said, was vanity. But as I worked at this restaurant, I was introduced to all manner of activists and advocates and people on the, the front or front line of uh, vegan advocacy. And I would have conversations with them on a regular basis because they would come in and eat and we would often have presentations at the restaurants where I would get to meet people like Howard Lyman, Lisa Silverstone, um, and many, many more people that were out there advocating for veganism. And it didn't take long for the diet to become more than just I'm sleeping better and I'm not going to get old as fast. It was about not wanting to be cruel to animals. It was about making sure that my dietary choices didn't negatively impact other beings. And that's really why I stay vegan. The performance aspect is something I use as a marketing pitch. It's something I use to get people interested, like, hey, you can get performance. Um, but for me, the reason is not the performance. It's not wanting to harm to sentient beings, or at least do as little harm as I possibly can as a Western consumer. And I, so, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead, go continue. Ahead. No, I was going to say, I love love your statement, what you said there, because it, it shows self-growth in terms of veganism. You, you became a vegan from vanity, but you stayed a vegan, right? I want to drive this home, listeners, because of animals, Right? Like that, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. That's growth within itself. Well, and I, I just simply didn't know. And it's not that I didn't know that creatures were dying. And it's not that I hadn't seen it because I grew up on a farm in Vermont. Uh, we killed chickens. Um, my neighbors killed cows and pigs, and I often watched them do it. Uh, I grew up eating a lot of meat and drinking a lot of milk. And it's not that I didn't know because I witnessed it firsthand. I did feel terrible watching it. it. It was never an experience that I enjoyed. It was never an experience that I could just, um, that didn't affect me. I hated seeing it. It was terrifying to watch it, but it was the culture I grew up in. So I didn't know there was another culture. I didn't know there was such a thing as being a vegetarian or a vegan. I didn't encounter my first vegetarian until I was in college, and I just thought it was strange. And I'd never heard the term vegan until I moved to L.A. at the age of 29. So the culture that I was in, these things just weren't even known. So rather than trying to 
be the vegan advocate that rubs animal violence in somebody's face. Um, because to a lot of people, they know about it, but it doesn't, it's part of their culture and they, they don't know there's anything outside of it. So I want to show them another angle. I want to show them maybe the performance angle uh, or the, the how, do you, how do you look angle, the vanity angle. There's a lot of people on Instagram and YouTube and elsewhere using the vanity angle and it gets people to change their diet. And once that diet changes, they start reading up on it. Okay, they want to know more. And the more they know, the more they're going to come across people talking about compassion and animal cruelty. Uh, and suddenly their culture is going to change and their knowledge base is going to change. And, and now they're not the only one who's bothered by the pig being dumped in a vat of boiling water and then shot in the head, which I witnessed several times as a child. And it was traumatic. But that was my culture. This, this was my family and my friends. And so I didn't want to be the one person that, that didn't go along with that culture. Uh, and again, I didn't know there was another possibility. So when people start educating themselves and widening the, the net of culture that they interact with, they don't have to feel like they're the only ones that are bothered by this. And I think, and well, then they can to be more confident. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what what where, where you were successful at, and um, when it comes to veganism, you put a video out, guys. Tim put out a video like, "Don't be that vegan," right? And and it literally spoke to what he was saying here because you know often a, a person somebody can be put off if they see like, uh, of course we care about animals, uh, people that eat meat, um, but when you see a video like, "Hey, look at this video. This is how you get your food," like. That's not how that's not a good draw. Right. And I think um, from my own experience, for example, um, someone that I became real close with in the gym and, you know, again, just just so that my listeners know and yourself know as well. Um, you know, I'm not a vegan. I'm not a complete complete vegan. But what I what I try to do is I, I, I do have meatless meals. Right. Because I do enjoy chicken. I enjoy fish. Um, so, like, I, I still have those things. But the best introduction that I had to that lifestyle um, was a guy was at the gym. He was really fit. And he just said, you know, yeah, I'm vegan. And, but this is how, it, this is what benefits from it. And it makes me work. And if you're ever interested, I don't put it on anyone. I don't ask anybody to be a vegan, but if you're interested, you know, I can share what worked for me. And I think that's the best approach. Would you agree? Well, I've tried a lot of different approaches and I've watched many other approaches, other people. And also I'm getting older. I'm 52 now. So it's amazing how... Yeah, and he doesn't look it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't look 52. I'm telling you now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's strange to, to look in the mirror because I don't see 52 and I don't feel 52. And that number just doesn't seem like it fits, but it's the number. Anyway, so I, as you age, you change. Like, there's a different neurochemistry that accompanies aging and you become less certain, you become less aggressive, you become more expansive in your thinking, more tolerant. And it's just a natural process of aging for most people. Uh, whereas youth is about certainty and there's so much emotional weight to everything you think. And there's a, a righteousness that comes with youth. And that's wonderful, but it also needs to be balanced by the, the more tolerant experience of older people. So I'm, I'm kind of in the middle now. I'm not elderly yet and I'm not young I'm in that middle ground where I still have a lot of passion but I also am beginning to grow tolerance and what I've noticed as I watch other people and as I've 
look back at myself. If I tell you that you're wrong, not only are you not going to change, but you're not going to listen. And I'm your enemy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to become someone that you avoid. But if I allow you to be yourself, and if you're curious, you ask me about what I'm doing. You ask me about the results that I'm getting. You ask me about my lifestyle. I'll tell you as long as you're curious. I'm not going to go on and on and on like in a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the gentlemen that uh, came to the restaurant I worked at, his name is Howard Lyman. He went on Oprah in the late 90s. And after his episode on Oprah, Oprah said, I'm no longer going to eat meat. And she got sued by the meat industry, or the beef industry, I think. And he came into our restaurant and he gave a presentation. And one of the things he said, don't tell you, I'm sorry, don't tell anyone you're vegan unless they ask. And if they ask, you have 30 seconds to tell them. Wow. And that's something that really stuck with me. Like Mm -hmm. people don't want to be lectured. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to be looked down upon. That's not how you get people on your team. And and forget about team. Like, that used to be how I worked. Like, okay, how do we get you on the vegan team, on the winning team? But I've even let that go. I don't believe in teams anymore. I don't want there to be groups fighting against each other, these ideological, you know, poles fighting in opposition. That's not how we make a better world. That's not how we heal as individuals. Um, you know, I'm in my righteous community, and I feel great there, but oh, the world's just full of so many ignorant people that I just can't stand. <laughs> That's not a healthy attitude to maintain. And you're also far from perfect. So <clears throat> one of the things that I try to do now is just hold space for people, to let people be where they are. And to see what they need, to see what they want, and then offer suggestions on how they might get there. Rather than saying, you must do this, or you're wrong, or you're evil. You know, there's a lot of judgment in the vegan world, and nobody changes in a positive direction because they feel judged. It just doesn't happen. But yet there's a heck of a lot of people out there judging the crap out of anybody that's not vegan. And I do not support that approach. Uh, I tolerate it, (laughs) but I don't support it. Exactly. And I've seen it. I've seen it many, many times. I think on both ends of people who are vegan and are judgmental against people that eat meat and then vice versa, uh, people that judge vegans. Uh, even speaking to your recent video, I also looked at that as well um, about And I had no idea this was going on, but it made sense when you said it, how when you show up being a vegan to a a party or a gathering that has meat and then you stop getting invited Um, for the for the people that didn't watch that YouTube video. um, Would you explain that experience and like how you had to adjust? Yeah, well, I first noticed this when I switched to a raw vegan diet, because As a vegan, I had a community in Los Angeles. I worked at a restaurant. Most of my friends were in the vegan community. I met them at the restaurant. But when I switched to a raw diet, even the vegans thought I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was way off the deep end. And I would go to dinner parties and people were like, oh, there's nothing for you to eat. Like, and they're vegan, so they're compassionate, but they were also like, yeah, you really can't eat anything here. And it was awkward. And they stopped inviting me because they felt bad. But then I would invite myself and bring food, but this is what I learned to do. And then as that became a practice for me and I came back to Vermont where I grew up, I'm back into that meat eating culture. Vermont is a hunting state. It's mostly mountains and forest and um, young boys are taught to hunt here. I think I might've been the only boy in my school that didn't hunt. So if you're going to hang out with your child and their friends here in Vermont, there's going to be hunters and there's going to be venison and wild turkey at the table. And they would often be reluctant to invite me to these dinner parties, gatherings, because they're like, well, you know, he doesn't want to be around me or we don't want to be judged is also something that happens. I don't want him preaching to us. Because early on when I switched and I learned about animal cruelty and whatnot, there was a lot of preaching. And people just don't want to hear it. People get together to eat, to celebrate. They get together to relax and enjoy themselves. And it's usually at the end of the day or at the end of the week. And it's like, we're done working. We're done having constraints. Right now, we want to relax. We want to be free. We want to have a beer. We want to just kick back and enjoy ourselves. And we don't want you lecturing us or making us feel bad that's not why we're getting together to have this meal so if that's what you're going to do don't come <laughs> absolutely so, <laughs> go ahead i'm sorry yeah and, and i i agree i don't want that either i don't want somebody constantly in my face as i'm trying to enjoy myself with friends so now what i do is i say don't worry about me i'm bringing the salad and I'm going to bring some dessert. And I don't just bring enough for myself because that's kind of selfish. I'm not just there being the alien, being the, the lone vegan eating his own food. I make a salad for everybody. I make a dessert for everybody. Whether they eat it or not, there's enough to share. So I'm part of the community. I'm a contributor to that event. And the thing is, I don't just make a salad. I make the best salad they've ever had. That's right. <laughs> Because salad is mostly what I eat. Salad is what I have for dinner almost every single night for more than a decade now. I love salad. So I've gotten really, really good at salad. You've never had a salad like mine. Because it's a meal. It's not your standard romaine lettuce with a tomato and cucumber. It's not it. <laughs> so they end up eating that salad, and then they're like, wow, that is an incredible salad. And then the next dinner party, they can't wait for my salad. Because everybody knows they should be eating more salad. Everybody knows they should be eating more vegetables. So when I bring the dessert that's made of fresh fruit and whatnot, they also know they should be eating that. It's not like anybody says, man, yeah, you know, I already have way too many greens in my diet. Tim, that's it. That Now I want to have a Tim Van Orton salad now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, what are we trying to do? What is our goal? Is our goal to create right and wrong groups or is our goal to come together and find ways to connect? That's my goal. My goal is to find a way to connect everybody that I can possibly connect. 
and feel connected to them in some way. And if I'm acting like I'm better than you, well, then I have failed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking in the connection, no. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What was what was your no, your no, thought? go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna, I was gonna go into the uh, the your coaching segue, but I want you to finish your statement and and continue saying <laughs> what you were saying. <laughs> well, judgment is a big part of the battle that's taking place between the keto diet, the vegan diet, the raw vegan diet, the carnivore diet. Like you've got all these extremes showing up. And and I attribute that to internet culture, that we no longer really are tied to our local in-person communities. We can have communities that are across the globe that have an interest as the, the bonding element rather than how far away from my house are you? Can I bike there in 10 minutes? You know, that used to be, who are my friends? Well, they're the people that I can bike to in a reasonable amount of time. Those are my friends. Now, my friends are all over the world, and we share a common interest. And while I love that, I also want to be careful that I'm not excluding the people in my local environment that don't have those similar interests. So there's a lot of judgment. Like, I know people in this town um, who are not vegan, yet they judge people on other dimensions. There are other things that uh, they're incredibly judgmental about. And they say, I don't want to be around those people for X reason. And as I listen to this and as I trying to try to find a way to talk to it or understand it, judgment keeps showing up in my mind. And what shows up there for me is that really, if I want to be mentally well, Judgment should only exist in relation to myself. And even then, I should be very gentle. And this is what I've come to know. The more I learn, and I'm constantly learning, the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't know. So the the slower I am to jump to judgment, uh, and the more I consider and reflect and ask, uh, because I don't know this person that I impulsively want to judge. I really don't know them. And even myself, I'm, I'm very slow to judge myself now because I don't know why I do many of the things I do. None of us do. Mm-hmm. This is why we have the field of psychology and neuroscience. We're trying to figure out why do we do what we do. It's a mystery. You know, I know I should be on a diet. Why am I eating that bag of chips? <laughs> exactly. So there's a, there's it- a gentleness that is required to really, really function well in this world. And it's hard. It's hard to find that gentleness. Okay, done with the rant. No, no, no I appreciate the rant. It's actually helpful. Um, so, you know, again, like we got a lot of information on the vegan aspect. I, I, I want to I wanna get into what I feel you have, you're, have a great uh, asset in providing this service is your coaching and on your website guys um tim on tim van orden dot com um there's a there's a portion where he there's a section rather uh where he has what's called compassionate coaching can you just define what that is and and what is it that you provide for people well that's a great question and i'm going to do the opposite of what a business person would do right now a business person would give you a very succinct clear (laughs) answer to that question i'm going to do the opposite which is to say i'm still learning what it means to be compassionate 
In fact, I'm not so sure that compassion is a term I want to use anymore. So this is an evolving process for me. So what it looks like when I work with someone is to map who they are. I don't know who they are. So I want you to help me draw a map of who you are. We're going to go on this journey of self-discovery, and we're going to find out how you work. And I'm going to use what I know in the fields of psychology and neuroscience um, and also my study of Buddhism, and we're going to take a look at where there might be some blind spots for you, where there might be some openings for you, and we're going to construct uh, kind of your your habitual self. We're going to really define that in three dimensions and then take a look at it and say, okay, what is likely to happen in this situation knowing what we now know? What are you likely to do? And why is that? What triggered you? What happened? And what can we do differently? Not dramatically differently, but what tiny step can we do right now that's going to affect this little tiny stream of consciousness or stream of behavior that stops it from becoming the Niagara River going over the Niagara Falls 300 kilometers from now? Like, what can we do now? Looking at the map, like I can see the waterfall ahead, and I can see that there's a channel and a river that leads to that waterfall. There is a flow. We'll call that habitual behavior. So what can I do way upstream so that this tiny trickle that I'm in right now goes in a different direction and ends up in the Mississippi River instead? So it's really first a process of gently investigating and discovering yourself without judgment, and that's why it's compassionate. It's not about you do this and therefore you're a bad person, or you do this and therefore you're a weak person, or you do this and therefore you're a lazy person, uh, and we're going to toughen you up. That's not what it is. There's no willpower required in my coaching. There's no discipline. There's no determination. There's simply a gentle discovery and learning how to be present to who you actually show up as in the world without denying it, but honestly saying, yeah, if I really look at it, I do this and I do that and I do this. And those behaviors are not really, they're not reflective of who I'd like to be. So how can we gently, make tiny, tiny, I don't even want to say corrections, but explorations into new territory, into new behavior at such a small scale that it never becomes frightening and you never feel resistance. So a huge part of what I do in the beginning is to get people to let go of their huge need for huge change. People reach out to a coach when something is broken and when something's got to change, like I need to do this and I can't do it on my own and I'm sick and tired and I've got to lose weight, I've got to get in shape, I've got to accomplish this goal. So they reach out for help because it's bigger than them. And it's so big that they don't think they can do it. And I'm hoping that you're the guy that can help me do this big thing. You can make me big enough to take it on. And my first is to deflate that goal, to get rid of the hugeness of it, to get rid of the gravity, to get rid of the weight and the significance. 
and to help them discover who they are. And in that process, to help them begin to tolerate their own feelings and their own present experience. Now, if we focus so much on the negative of our life, we miss everything else that's going on in our life. And unless you're in extreme, constant pain, like you've just been burned in a fire, and your nerve endings are firing pain signals constantly for months, unless that is the case, or maybe somebody that's got advanced cancer, unless that's the case, most of your life is pain-free. The vast majority is pain-free. So let's learn how to discover who you are in pain and who you are not in pain, because generally they're happening at the same time. You're just only aware of the pain. Now, would you? So, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off on here because yeah, I, I just wanna, I wanna get into. I don't want to lose the message here, um, but you said something to me that was very profound, and you're talking about pain, and I want your thoughts on this. Um, would you say, though, the the positive that comes from pain is growth? Because, you know, I didn't have the best up, upbringing, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't. And even like what you said, you know, I don't know if you describe it as trauma, as like even seeing animals being slaughtered and things like that, but there was growth from that, right? You um, decided at some point... Like, you know what, this isn't right. And um, spiritually, this is where I want to go. And I'm going to start in terms of a diet. W- would you say that there's there's growth that comes from pain, though? So it's, that it's not all negative? Okay, so, yes. Uh, I'm a big fan of looking at the language that we use. So I'm going to do a little language digging here. Okay. Growth is always the result of pain, but mm-hmm. not all growth is good. And this is what's really, really important to understand. And most people set their goals, set their missions, set their life's compass around something that has triggered them in a painful way. And now they're on this path because of that pain. And that pain is the fuel. Never again. I I will conquer this. I will show them. I will become the person that can right this wrong. So pain is the fuel. And that was the case for me. I had a pretty traumatic childhood. uh, And even my teens and 20s were pretty horrific. And pain has driven me for most of my life. And I'd say in the past six or seven years, that's really shifted in a, a very, very dramatic way. And I've realized that I'm not going to discount where that pain got me. But I no longer see it as necessary. I can do it a different way now. And I'm trying to help people achieve a different place of being without the pain. It's a great fuel, but you don't need it. We can do it without it. Are you interested? Are you interested in getting there in a more compassionate way? Pain will get you pretty far, but it won't get you to where you really want to go. It'll always hold you back because... You'll never be able to enjoy what you achieve and who you become if pain is your fuel. Because the pain is still there. The pain is still present, and that's why you're still driven. 
I agree. And I, and, and when, one thing I do like about your approach, um, and in terms of, 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 of um, coaching is just, it is compassion, right? It's in your, it's, it's literally defined uh, in your practice um, because as just touching on backtracking a bit of what you said earlier, people don't like to be lectured, right? So um, it's a reason why a lot of people don't see psychiatrists, right? Or they don't, they don't do that. I don't need somebody to tell me about my problems. I don't, I don't want to yeah. hear a lecture and you know, it's more inviting or it's more, you know, I'm more open to listening to someone to say, Hey, listen, you know, it's, this is just about you. Like give me feedback. Then people will talk. They're more likely to open up. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Um, one one takeaway that I got, um, and this was from your um your YouTube video that the uh, COVID on on the mental health. Um, you know, I've 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 done this myself just without even speaking on it. Um, but right now, you know, there is a lot of mental depression during this time, and um, you know, I want to tell if you're a listener out there, like there are people thriving right now, and you know, it's a time. What I mean by that is, you know, I'm working from home, but you know, I'm getting projects done like this. Honestly, this is the most productive I've been than when I was out in the world in an office um, and consumed with, you know, other priorities outside of my own vested interest. And, um, you know, isolation can probably be deadly for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, you finding yourself and finding that goal and you spoke on that a bit um, on the COVID episode. Um, I think that was essential. Uh, do you want to do you want to add to that or kind of just go into it a little bit on 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 how people can deal with with, um, you know, just their mental issues or mental capacity during this during this isolation time? Yeah, this is a really important topic. And myself personally, I'm an introvert and I'm shy by nature, and also I deal with depression. Depression is my default state. It's been a lifetime for me, and my brain is cooked in it. And I made it to the age of 52, which is miraculous to me. Every day I wake up, and I almost do a little dance. Some days I actually do a little <laughs> dance because I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I'm still here. And there's no chance of me not being here at this point because I've learned enough. And... So I have this basic experience. I've been dealing with depression for over 30 years, 35, 36 years. And I'm also in the trenches of the athletic arena. Like if I'm going to compete at a national level and try to win national titles or even I'm going after a few world titles hopefully this coming year, if I'm going to do that, that means that my level of engagement in physical activity has to be second to none. So I've got to do what needs to be done every single day, no matter what. And this is not me boasting. It's simply that what differentiates my process from that of a therapist or that of a psychiatrist is that I'm not someone who has learned about a particular thing. I went to school for it. I learned about it. I read some books about it. I, I go to seminars to update my education, and I listen to you tell me your stuff, and then I offer some advice. I'm doing it at the same time you are. Okay, whatever you're dealing with, I'm dealing with it. I'm alone most of the time, not because I want to be. I do enjoy some alone time, but I would like to be social. But because of shyness, because of depression, because of insecurity, because of being an introvert, it's difficult for me. It's never easy. 
So COVID-19, that experience, is pretty much how I go through life, feeling like, okay, I wish I could be interacting more. So I get that. So we're going to work on that together. I'm here to help you get some tools to help you move through these challenges. Um, same with depression. Okay, you're afraid of depression. I can help you there as well. I've got decades of experience of not surviving it, but actually expanding into it, learning from it, and using it as a really, really powerful tool or foundation. Instead of pain, I can step in the midst of, I don't care anymore. And that's the great gift of depression that most people don't see. Depression is when your body and brain decide that your identity has failed. And if you identify with your identity, if you say, I am this identity and everything that it represented, that, that is me. And if it's failed, well, then my life is over. But in a Buddhist sense, if you can let go of that identity and see it simply as an experiment that you've been running, well, now you've got a blank slate. You can start over. It's like, huh, I don't care about anything a.k.a. depression, and therefore, I can take steps now without fear of judgment. I can take steps now without worrying about how they're going to fit into my life or my identity. I got a blank slate. How amazing is that? I get a fresh start. Physiologically, that's what your brain and body are doing in depression. They're giving you a fresh start because what you've been up to hasn't worked. And they're trying to tell you, hey, don't do that anymore. Don't play that game anymore. We're going to put you on the bench. And we're going to keep you on the bench until you come up with an alternative. And that's really what depression is. It's time out so you can come up with an alternative. Because what you've been doing isn't working. And just like COVID-19, we now find ourselves having to reinvent our lives and our future potentially. Many of the jobs that people left aren't going to be there when this is over. We're going to have a new economy when this is done. There is no going back to what was. It's permanently changed. And as terrifying as that is, it's also an incredible opportunity. Like all the stress, all the burden, all the, the weight that you put on your shoulders, you have the opportunity to step outside of that now and try something new. Exactly. And... and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't mean to interject on that. Yeah, but, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, what I was going to say in um, in parallel to that as well, too, is, you know, if you're listening, like, especially during this period, guys, like, you have resources. I've I've gotten into it in the past years, but even more so now, like, meditation. Um, you know, I had a, a, my um, yoga instructor, Ann Taylor, on one of my other episodes, and we spoke about the benefits of just getting up and just, you know, being one with yourself and your mind and things like that. And then in the in addition to that, um, like what you just said as well, um, I think obtaining a new skill is essential because like you said, and I think that's the realization that a lot of people haven't come to grips with yet, is that when the economy is up and running again, I don't. it's not going to be what we were familiar with. A lot of jobs that you did have will be lost. I agree 100%. Um, even working in a gym, I was a general manager um, at a gym of Fit for Less here, and even gyms won't be run the same anymore right like they're they're speaking of now 
you know, now you'll have to book an appointment. Like that's just, it's not concrete, but it's an idea, right? Just so that, you know, your workouts are going to be different. So, you know, obtaining a new skill, whether it's, Hey, you know, I want to learn coding or, Hey, I want to learn, I want to take up photography or I want to get into writing and things like that. I think things like that is, is if you have that extra time, um, it's really essential, um, to start doing those things. Right. Yeah, so that's a, a great point, and there's two kind of um, there's two things to consider there. One is that I've seen a lot of media companies offer content for free or discounted rates for people that have little to do because they're not working right now. And while that sounds like a really generous offer, the last thing you should be doing is entertaining yourself during these times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing you should be doing is just creating more coping mechanisms. Uh, So what I do as a coach is I help people engage in an environment that's become much, much, much more about entertainment and coping. Like everybody's there with a coping mechanism for you. And hey, it's free for the next two months. All this content is free for two months because we care. Well, what they really care about is that you become a subscriber and after two months you start paying for it. Meanwhile, you just spent two months consuming media and what did you learn? What new skills did you develop? How is this in your best interest? So one of the things that I really focus on as a coach is helping people take the smallest steps possible. Because if we look at meditation or if we look at identification, which I talked about a moment ago, our identity, our ego, we'll call it that, our ego is just a small part of who we are. And it's only a small part of our brain. It's not even our entire brain. So we can exist as ego or we can exist outside of ego. And there are different brain regions that mediate both experiences. When you're meditating, what you're doing is moving blood into the parts of your brain that are not ego. When you're being measured somehow, when you're in the midst of frustration or anger or love or any kind of strong emotion, you're inside of ego. You know you're in ego when you're feeling strong emotion. That's the the key, (laughs) the signal. Uh, There's a central character in something that's happening to them, something really good or really bad. But there's a character, something is happening, and then there's a feeling. So ego identity is all about measurement. This person measures me in a very positive light. Oh, my God, I'm in love. Or this person measures me in a very negative light. And I'm angry or I'm frustrated or I feel somehow disrespected. So when we try to engage in things, new activities, new learning, new skills, there's often a great deal of measurement because our identity, our ego says, well, what if I don't do it well? What if people laugh at me? What if I fail? What if I can't learn it? I don't have the experience. So there's this measurement. So the ego comes in and says, I'm afraid of learning this because I'm going to be measured. And in fact, even trying to learn it, I might discover that I'm not as smart as I think I am or I'd like to be, and that's a really uncomfortable measurement, so I'm just going to avoid it. I'll do it next week. So there's always a reason. So what I focus on is to get people to take steps that are so small that they don't even seem like steps, and there's zero measurement. 
for instance, if I'm trying to get someone to develop an exercise habit, I don't say, okay, today we're going to walk for 10 minutes. That's how we're going to start. Well, that's a measurement because someone's going to measure their ability to walk 10 minutes. And maybe when they imagine that, I, I don't think I can do it. Okay, great. So today, right now, we're going to find some socks. Because ego doesn't care about socks. Ego doesn't measure itself against its ability to find socks. All right, now we're going to find a pair of shorts. Again, there's no measurement. Measurement only happens when you frame a task or a goal or an activity in a large context that your ego is going to measure itself against. Can I or can I not do this? Am I bigger than this or is it bigger than me? Is this going to represent me as a failure or me as a success? Ego loves feeling successful bigger than things and it's scared to death of feeling smaller than things. So my goal is to make it so small that your ego doesn't even recognize it as a step in that direction. And you can do this with diet. You can do it with learning. Uh, so I do it writing. Okay, I've got to write a book. I've got to write a chapter today. Eh, I'm going to measure and I'm going to fail. So instead, well, let me open up my notebook. Or let me find my notebook. That's it. That's all I'm doing is finding the notebook. All right? There's no measurement there. Now I'm going to open it. Okay. Find a pen. There it is. Found it. No measurement. And I go through these steps, and before you know it, I'm writing. Before you know it, I'm reading. I'm editing. Uh, same with running. Right now, I'm training a little over two hours a day, seven days a week. But if I were to say to myself, okay, you've got to train two hours, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> but where, right. where yeah. are my socks? Where are my shorts? Where are my shoes? Let's tie our shoes and let's tie them very slowly. Let's watch what my fingers do when I tie those shoelaces. Let's feel them slide through my fingers. It's actually a really pleasant experience. And it's something I do every single time I tie my shoes now. It's not something I do automatically that I just rush through on the way to something bigger. Tying my shoelaces is a really, really important part of my day now. And running can't happen if I don't do that. So I love that. It's hard it's hard to get people to do this. They want the big thing. They want to feel like they're conquering something. They want to feel like they're taking these big giant leaps and they can see the transformation. But that's not how you change. Well, I it love, happens imperceptibly. I love that approach as well, just because, you know, again, smart starting with the small things, you know, it's applicable, like you said, to everything in life. Um, even me being a marathon runner, I knew I couldn't wake up one day. I mean, I could do it. I could wake up one day and run 26.2 miles, but I'll probably die of like, not physically die, but just, you know, I mean, not, you know, in the sense of the word passing out, but I'm not properly trained. And I knew that, okay, well, you know what? Let me start out with a 5k. Let me start out with a 10k. Right. And then I after that, we do a half marathon, and it's measurable. Um, Dean actually said that um, in, in, in our interview as well, and he, he said, you know, the best advice I can give to anyone that's going to do long distance, he said, hey, you know, he, what he did was just crazy. He just got up and just did it one day. Um, it was it was on his birthday, and he's like, hey, I, I want to run 30 miles for my 30th birthday. But, uh, yeah. you know, to the average person, right, like, you know, his advice, and, and he doesn't even say, like, hey, you know, 
you should go out and run 30 miles, but he just said, you know, set a measurable. And, and, um, what, what I like as well, what you said, and I forget the, um, the general in the military, it was something, it was a video I seen. I really wish I remembered his, his, his name for this conversation, mm-hmm. but to make your bet, I don't know if you've seen that, but he was like, you know, it, it starts with yeah, something, read his book. Yeah. yeah, something is something as small as that is, is that discipline of getting up in the morning, making your bed. Right. And, and instilling that and then making it applicable everywhere else. Tim, we had, we honestly, like, this was really great discussion. And, um, you know, I'm definitely going to, you're, you're going to be in our, a, a friend of the show. <laughs> and, uh, I definitely want to, I wish I had more time to discuss, but, you know, I would like to have you back on at some point in the future season. Um, but you know, we went over, yeah, it was, it's amazing. Uh, we went over, you know, uh, what got you into, um, being a vegan and you gave us a lot of great feedback on being a vegan and the coaching part, which is what I got value from. Um, I want to tell you personally, and, and um, I, I guess I'm, I'm a recipient of this as well. When you're putting content out, I don't think we take time to realize how much we're affecting people's lives. And, you know, you may upload a, a, a YouTube video and say, you know what, I put this out into the world and, you know, I'm going to move on to the next thing. But it, it helps in the same way me uh, creating this in this episode, you know, it can help somebody. So, you know, to me, that's 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 rewarding. And, you know, I want to thank you for for doing that and creating this space and, and creating this information. And I want to lead into um, just some of the stuff that you have to offer, guys. He has, if you want to check him out, check him out on YouTube, Running Raw. Um, then also you can check out his uh, website as well, Tim Van Orton. Um, you ha- I don't know how many books you have up here. I know you had the, a, a compassionate approach. And then you also had a book, uh, Turbocharge Your Life. I think there were some um, there were some chapters in it, like Why Diets Can Fail, uh, fuel in your body. Uh, did I miss anything in terms of, of, of what you wrote? Yeah, so uh, Turbocharge Your Life is a lecture, a diet and peak performance, which is a lecture. A compassionate approach is my first attempt at a book. Okay. I'm working now on uh, a compassionate approach to crisis, which I hope to have out very soon. Okay. Uh, so that's been my, my work. When I come to the office, I'm working on that book right now. And it's to help people through the COVID-19 uncertainty, the, the new world that we're about to move into. Like, how do you deal with a, a world in crisis? So that's what's uh, going to be available within the next month, uh, a compassionate approach to crisis. And you'll be able to find that at my website, timvanorden.com. There you go. Guys, you, you and he just gave you like a good 15 minutes on how to deal with COVID-19. So if you want to be sure to, to follow up with him um, and reach it and just, you know, we I look forward to it. I actually want I am going to check it out and I'm going to purchase it um, when you have that, um, because it's a lot of valuable information. And then if anyone wants to follow you, uh, what are your socials? Well, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> do you have Instagram? Do you do Twitter? I realize everyone yeah, I do doesn't, that. but, you know, people in, in this information, this digital age, people do like to follow you. Um, but I do know that you can follow him on YouTube, Running Raw, and then the website, Tim Van Orden. That's T-I-M, of course, V-A-N, last name O-R-D-E-N. And are you on Twitter, Instagram, or? I am, and, you know, I have been on for so long that I forget my links, but if you go to any of my YouTube videos, I have all the information at the end of every video, or if you go to my YouTube page, my channel page, you'll see all the links. 
Um, but I, I forget what they are. Some of them are Jim Van Orden, some of them are Running Raw. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so just make sure you guys, if you again, if if you got any value from this episode, um, definitely my my my, my main source and how I was introduced with by Tim was the YouTube videos. So just go to Running Raw, and he has a bunch of videos up there. And again, if you want to reach out, you check out his website. It's timvanorden.com. Tim, thank you so much. If there's any last things that you want to say, any message, you you now have the floor. Yeah, great. Well, to anyone listening. Uh, I'm grateful for you getting to this point, and I hope there's some value in there for you. I have 1,100 videos on YouTube now. My Getting Started series or playlist, uh, I have uh, three playlists, Getting Started 1, 2, and 3. And if you're stuck and you're trying to figure out how to get through a particular situation, you want to get fitter, you want to change your diet, looking for recipes, that's the place to go. Um, so I have hours and hours and hours uh, up on YouTube, but the, the getting started playlists are where you probably want to get started. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And, and again, you know, thank you. Uh, uh, again, I'm grateful. What, like you said, just in my own personal growth, and I think the biggest benefit of starting this podcast and, and having fit health well is not only for my listeners, but you know, I'm a student, right? I I, I literally have the advantage and the benefit of learning from people from different backgrounds, different educations, uh, different experiences, and I'm always grateful for that. So anytime someone like yourself, or any uh, professional agrees to come onto my podcast and share their knowledge, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. So again, Tim, thank you so much, guys. Just make sure you check them out, Running Raw on YouTube, and also check out his website, uh, timvanorton.com. is very, very valuable uh, author, uh, coach, runner, vegan runner. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, we love you. Thank you. It's been great. Absolutely. We love you listeners. We really appreciate it. And again, make sure you check us out on Instagram. Um, everything is Fit Health Well. So you can check us out on Instagram, fit.health.well. Um, you can also check us out on Twitter, Fit Health Well CA. And then also you can check out our Facebook page, Fit Health Well. And then if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you just have any general information that you would like to send us, you can email us at fithealthwell at gmail.com. Again, I'm grateful for you guys. Thank you for listening. And until the next episode, I'll see you later.